Hi, I'm Misha Chakrabarty. Welcome to Dream Awakening, a podcast where we have authentic conversations with people living with purpose. This podcast is also available in Spanish as Despertando Sueños con Misha Chakrabarty. This is the season finale of season one of Dream Awakening. Can you believe it? We've already heard from some wonderful guests and listened to some incredible stories. I feel very lucky to have gotten to had conversations with such vibrant humans, especially in the middle of these crazy times we're all living. Today, we're joined by Evie Dusky. Evie Dusky dreams of conscious creativity. Evie grew up in Ohio, USA, with a love of music and a passion for performing. While she felt open and free as a child, the corporate culture of the U.S. moved her toward a practical path and convinced her for a long time that art was a trivial pursuit. In college, she studied abroad in Argentina, and her experience had a profound effect on her. She moved from Ohio to Buenos Aires, now nearly 10 years ago, to pursue her love of music in a variety of contexts. While living in the U.S., stability had been a priority for her. Since relocating and being swept up into the chaos of the city of fair winds, she realized that life rarely goes as planned, no matter how hard you try to make it so. Evie now creates from a space of flow and feels like a conduit, channeling something greater. She never forces herself to make music or art, but instead lives vibrantly and goes with the creative energy when it comes, whether it happens in the middle of a bike ride or a brisk walk. Ultimately, she makes decisions based on her intuition, even when the road ahead isn't clear. Today, Evie is a musician, copywriter, and magazine founder. Whether writing and performing as front woman of the dream pop band Fervors, to starting local arts and culture magazine La La Lista, she has long nurtured a voracious appetite for soul-feeding creative projects that, in her opinion, and mine as well, make life worth living. She is passionate about supporting local businesses and culture, valuing art and artists, and establishing healthy work-life relationships that respect our limited time on this earth. On a personal note, I absolutely love Evie's music. I do also describe it as dream pop, and what, what a fitting type of music to be on this podcast. I, I truly enjoy it, and I feel that it kind of it takes me into the beyond in a way. As she says, she, she channels something more when she makes her music. Um, so I, I, I'll be putting all of the information for... Um, for Fervors and La La Lista and some of her solo projects in this description, so please be sure to check it out. With that, let's welcome Evie Dusky. Hi Evie, how are you? How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. How about you? I'm feeling great. I have to say, I'm feeling even better now that I'm seeing you today, now that now that we're having this conversation, I enjoyed our pre-interview conversation, so I, I'm feeling wonderful. I'm feeling wonderful. Um, yeah, how, I don't know, how's, how's your weekend going? My weekend has been good. I've been taking a lot of me time, which is something new for me. I haven't really been in the practice of it before until like, ooh, I don't know, the last couple of months maybe in my entire life. Like, that's how new it is. Um, I've been doing a lot of bike riding which has been nice, and reading in the park. Um, yeah, and 
Reading's been good. Have you ever read... Okay, this is like jumping right in, but I'm reading right it. now this book called The Artist's Way by Julia no. Cameron. I've okay. heard of it, but I haven't read it. Tell me about it. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's I'm just getting into it, but she has this thing called The Morning Pages. Mm-hmm. It's basically the book is kind of, the premise of it is to give the premise of it is that everyone has an innate creator that mm-hmm. we all have a creative side to ourselves even doctors lawyers whatever um and that we can all tap into it but you have to kind of deblock yourself like unblock yourself mm-hmm. so um she gives you a couple tools to do that with and one of them is this thing called the morning pages um which is where you just write longhand you fill three pages every morning and you don't do it trying to be writerly or to make something like really coherent and beautiful. You just live on the page, um, which is kind of like, she terms it almost as kind of a form of meditation because you have mm-hmm. to be just like present in the moment and you're not trying to like think, Oh God, you know, no one else should see this ever. It's just for mm-hmm. you. So I've been doing that lately and it's been really wild because it, it feels like kind of you just dump your brain Mm -hmm. from the day before onto the pages and then you just feel kind of fresh and new for the the day in front of you so i did that this morning before we started that's beautiful i have to say um (laughs) i mean everything you said is beautiful but i i absolutely love um the idea of the book and also the idea of you know that practice because I really do believe that that everyone does have like this beautiful creative energy inside them that maybe they just aren't aware that it exists or they're aware that it exists, but they don't know how to get in touch with it or they're scared to like, to, I don't know, connect with it for whatever reason. And I think it's beautiful that you're, well, you're already very much in touch with it, but I think it's nice that, um, that you're, I don't know, actively um, channeling that every day. I do want to, I think that it's really, I'm just going to dive in, um, scrapping the initial question because I, I love what you said. Um, I think, so, uh, Evie, you're from the U.S., but now you're living in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, as someone who also grew up in the U.S., I, I understand, like, this culture of constant activity, of a lot of work. And you said just now that only now you're starting to really have a sense of like me time. And now you're starting to do this beautiful exercise of not not even thinking about the external world, but just thinking about like what comes up. So can you talk about like this new ability to kind of just connect with yourself and and what that's been like for you? Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. I would say it came out of necessity. Um, we talked about earlier about like when the next Fervors record is going to come out. And mm-hmm. one of the big reasons I don't know yet is because I still have to finish writing some of these crazy vocal arrangements that I want to add to the record. And they've been kind of haunting me, but I've had kind of a sense of self-doubt or like kind of like a crippling like anxiety about it or... Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how to put it in terms. I guess it's like the musical equivalent of writer's block, mm-hmm. except that it's like very much fear-based. And that's why I started reading this book and kind of cultivating this practice because I'm like, there's something not right here. I'm like either my, my ego is getting in the way mm-hmm. or there's something, 
something is happening. And reading this book has been kind of like a flash, like if I'm going to put it in Argentine Spanish, mm-hmm. it's just been like kind of wild because it speaks to so many of those things that I was feeling that that there is, that, that when we get ideas, when we get inspiration, really what we're doing is just acting as kind of a conduit or a channel mm-hmm. to some other kind of like divine creativeness. In mm-hmm, fact, it's kind yeah. of a little bit like polemico, like controversial, but Julia Cameron in the book, she says, like, she, she refers to it as God. And she's like, if you don't want to say God, you don't have to. Like, you can use a different word for it, but I'm going to use God because that's how I feel. Like, that's what I think it is. Like, I think when we create yeah. art, we're in, communi- we're in communion with, like, the divine creator. And that's so, beautiful. Yeah, I think it is too. And I'm, I'm not a religious person, right? I mean, I grew up that way, but I really, I really kind of rejected that in my late teens, as mm-hmm. rebellious teens do. Right. And <laughs> and I was very anti that, very into the, like, oh, I'm an atheist agnostic for most of my twenties, like, um, you know, while also at the same time kind of envying people of faith because it mm-hmm. felt like there was a certain comfort to it. Yeah. And then just now, as I started approaching thirty. I became, I came to a place where I was like, you know what? I, I missed that spirituality. I missed that link. And so I started seeking that out in different ways. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's been really helpful, I think, in terms of, of healing and creation and all that. That's, that's beautiful. I, I absolutely love that. And I think your journey is a very natural one. I think it's just, you know, as a child, a lot of the times you don't necessarily have as much agency into your own decisions. Yes. Um, it's kind of just like you're told this by your parents. So you kind of accept that because that's what people tell you. And then you have this natural moment of independence where it's like, well, what do I think? And then you re- rebel against it beca- just to be independent. And then like, as you approach 30, I think it's just a natural point of like coming back around and saying, okay, um, well, let's just examine what it is and what what do I feel? And maybe there's some aspect of it that I actually agree with. And maybe this other aspect is a little bit more arbitrary. So I think that, you know, that's a very um, beautiful, natural journey. Um, You were talking about kind of religion, spirituality, this idea of like connection to a higher power. Um, Do you, is that kind of what your experience of I don't know creative energy or creation is like? Yeah. Can you can you talk about what what it feels like for you? Okay, yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I've always felt <laughs> I've always felt that when it comes to songwriting, it's either the melody and the words come, or they mm-hmm. just don't. And it's mm-hmm. not that I'm sitting down and seeking them. In fact, most of the time when I start writing stuff, writing songs, writing melodies, whatever, I'm on my bike mm-hmm. and I'm just biking and I'm like looking at my surroundings and trying to make sure I don't get hit by a car and That's like enjoying, nice. the, yeah, enjoying the nature and like taking in, you know, this beautiful city we live in. Um, and it's crazy because that book I just mentioned, it actually says there's a reason for that. Um, mm-hmm. They, she quoted even Spielberg as saying that he got his best ideas while driving down the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because your brain actually switches from your logic brain of like making decisions to your artist brain when you are 
kind of like subconsciously when you're when you're focused on something else with your conscious brain your subconscious brain is free to kind of like circulate and move and so that's why i think i've always gotten my best ideas either on my bike or in the shower <laughs> which is like another place where i'll just start mm-hmm. writing melodies and i'll have to like get out of the shower and go like record whatever i was thinking in my head just singing yeah. it into the computer or you'll see me like a crazy person on my bike with my cell phone, like recording like this, um, <laughs> like singing yeah. while on my bike. And, you know, anyone passing it. by me would be like, what the hell? Or uh, it used to happen walking around the city, you know, I'd like duck into a corner of a street and sing into my phone and someone would be like, you know. <laughs> I love it. But you're in Buenos Aires. That's like totally acceptable here. I, I, feel, I feel so too. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, it's always, whenever it's really felt like something good or worthwhile or pure, it's never felt like me creating Mm -hmm. something. It just feels like something arriving. And that's, I think you just have to accept the arrival Mm -hmm. and be be open to it and give it a chance because otherwise – you're, you're closing yourself off and you're making a process that should feel very like organic and flow into something kind of like stilted and, and closed. And that's never good. Yeah. I have to say, I have exactly the same experience that you, that you are talking about where, um, whenever I, um, whenever I feel most creativity is when I go for a run. I'm in, I'm in that yeah. same state that you talk about. And um, I completely agree. It, when I, I have the same experience that it feels like things kind of just come to me. Um, I do want to kind of talk about that a little bit more because I think a lot of the time in certain society, um, there's like the constant pressure to produce. You see people being like, I need to have upload a new YouTube video every week and I need to like constantly create content. And you know, in my experience, and it sounds like your experience too, like that's not how creative energy flows. It doesn't work on like the Monday at this time, I'm going to like create new content. Um, So as someone who kind of grew up perhaps with that culture, did you, did you always have this sense of like kind of this divine inspiration that flowed through you? Or is that something that you kind of came into over time? I think it took me a lot of time to give any kind of like credence to like what was coming out of me. I, I remember being a little kid and writing melodies and singing songs and being like, well, you know, in the shower or whatever and like writing things in my head and never really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was always, it's funny because, because of the way our, in the States, you know, our school system, our university system is set up. Um, you have to do all these extracurriculars and mm-hmm. you have to get grades and you're supposed to do all these things. So it's kind of like we take artistic forms or artistic activities and we make them have a means, like an, an, uh, an objective of like looking good on your college application. Mm-hmm. And so it's like in a way we're like kind of capitalizing slash <laughs> like turning, turning theater, turning marching band or symphonic band or a choir or acapella choir, which are all things I did, Molly, you know, like Molly Wynn, all these things into like a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And it's not really, so what I was going to say is that for a long time, 
I kind of, and, and then for a long time too, I was very much the mindset of, oh, I love music so much. Um, well, that's a whole different topic, but I, I love Go music for, so you. much. You with heavy. <laughs> I love music so much. Uh, and I do all these musical things. I sing, I play instruments, whatever, but it never occurred to me to, to be in a band. Mm. I was just, I was of the mindset of like, I'll date musicians. Uh-huh, uh-huh. which is so ridiculous like looking yeah. back on it like you were writing you know it wasn't until i came here actually when i studied abroad in buenos aires and i bought a charango which is like this mm-hmm. little tiny ukulele meets mandolin instrument from the andes mountains it used to be made out of armadillo actually no then, yeah i know but now they're wow. made of wood mine, mine was made out of wood um they actually the wooden ones sound better too so there's no mm-hmm. reason <laughs> No, there's no reason you need to kill an armadillo to make music. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but I bought that and I started just learning, just playing it kind of like it was a super ukulele and writing little songs on it. And one of my roommates at the time um, here in Buenos Aires was just like, Evie, like, you should do this. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, it it had never occurred to me before to Mm -hmm. to really do it. And that's when I started writing songs in earnest. Um, for us on the charango and then also the guitar a bit, just, you know, basic things, folk songs mostly. Um, and that was when I started paying attention to the ideas that were coming out of me instead of just kind of saying like, oh, that's, that's artistic fluff stuff that doesn't really belong mm-hmm. in like the day-to-day life. That makes yeah. Sense. No, I think that makes complete sense. It's so funny because I have a very similar experience about like uh, when when you like live abroad, things opening up um, in a new way. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that shift for you, about what about being in Buenos Aires, maybe being outside of your context allowed you to, um, I don't know, actually or maybe your friend saying something um, allowed you to kind of understand yourself in a different way, give yourself permission to explore something, I don't know, start to listen to yourself in a new way. What about that um, allowed for the shift for you? A couple of different things. Um, one, I would say that living abroad and trying to immerse yourself in a culture and learn a language is the death of dignity. Like you cannot, you cannot (laughs) learn a language or really connect with people without sounding like a total idiot Mm -hmm. for at least a year, probably, and probably more. In my case, I think it took two or three because I really was reluctant to sound like a total idiot. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I was fearful and I didn't speak as much as I should have. But something about that, about being already you're the outsider Already, you're the weird foreigner at the mm-hmm. party, or, or maybe the the shanky target, depending on what it is, you know. Because yeah. you're just like, ugh, the American, um, you know, wh- whatever it is, um, you're inherently an outsider. So therefore, you're not even trying to fit in anymore. So you might as well just kind of embrace your weirdness or or whatever thing you want to do. That was one element of it. The other element of it was probably, I think this happens my parents are amazing wonderful people they have five children and we are all our own person and mm-hmm. very different but i think it's very natural for parents to be like oh our artsy stuff maybe don't 
indulge that too much. <laughs> like mm-hmm. take care of your financial future and, and security. And I'm and I'm glad that they instilled that into me to an extent. Um, but I do think I internalized that during my teenage years that you know, creating art just for the sake of it wasn't a worthy pursuit. Um, at least not enough to dedicate a good amount of, the amount of time it takes to really become an artist, I guess, if that makes any sense. That makes so much Um, sense, yeah. And it was after I studied abroad and I started writing songs and I came back, my parents were like, oh my God, like, Evie, we didn't know you could do this. And I was like, (laughs) I I didn't know either. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, I too didn't know. Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it was just one of those things, like, it, it took going far away from home and, and the value system and just the, you know, productivity-driven mm-hmm. capitalist culture of the U.S., being away from that for a little bit. Because that was something, too, I think you probably noticed in Buenos Aires, you ask mm-hmm. people, like, what do you do? And a lot of times, the first response out of their mouth isn't their career. Yeah. It's their vocation. It's, it's the thing that makes them happy. Oh, I, I'm an actor. But also, mm-hmm. I work in systems during the day. But they don't tell you that part till like halfway through the conversation. No, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like so. It was kind of a total like game changer for me to think like, oh, I could define myself not by what I do during the day to make money mm-hmm. and live, but what I do that makes my soul feel full and like nourished. I don't. Know. I love that. That's beautiful. I think I think that's definitely something. One of the things um, that that drew me to Buenos Aires, and I absolutely love it about about you know the city, and um, I definitely f- agree with you. I feel that you know even if someone has kind of a practical job, kind of like the one that would make your parents happy about them not being in like total financial ruin, <laughs> maybe they're like I don't know a systems analyst by day, but they all are kind of connected with you know their. Their, create, their creative self, and they do something else. Um, so I, I definitely feel that about here. Um, is that something that you were kind of, I don't know, that you were kind of always searching for at some level? Or kind of, um, you mentioned kind of, I don't know, singing in the shower as a kid. Like, <laughs> did you feel, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that society didn't encourage it, but did you feel like connected to, to something as a kid? Or is it kind of just, you know, now that you're doing it, like hindsight has, has shown you, like that, that, that's always been there? Um, so it's kind of funny. I, I really, I didn't have the dream of, be, of being an artist as a kid. Hmm. I mean, even though it's funny, when I look, my parents, my dad recently, because I think of like quarantine and stuff, he finally did the tedious process of getting all these old, like, tapes uh mm-hmm. turned digitalized video nice. from his like old camcorder wow. and it's like fi- videos i had never seen before of myself when i was five or six years old um and i am just such a little ham it's yeah. like unreal like i'm like dad no put the camera on me and i'm like i want to sing i like want to dance like i was i was all these things that you know, I, I would just—I constantly was singing into the camera. There's a video of me singing into like one of those like little plastic Fisher Price <laughs> yeah. like speaker things, um, and yeah, my—I was stunned by these videos because I became quite self-conscious mm-hmm. after that time in my life. Once you start going to school and you're kind of like 
you know, you don't look right or you don't have the right clothes or you're kind of, well, maybe, maybe you love school and you talk a lot in class to the teacher and yep. all the kids hate you because of it, you know, like whatever it mm-hmm. is, all, all the above were valid for yep. me. Um, <laughs> I'm there with you, and, so like, so I, I think I definitely bottled a lot of that um, kind of innate creative drive for a lot of time in my childhood. And then I think, yeah, coming here, the, the one thing I did have in my head from like 13 or 14 on, I actually have like, I remember I had MySpace conversations mm-hmm. where I was like telling random, you know, musicians I met, like, I'm going to move to Buenos Aires <laughs> after oh, college. So you, you knew that you were going to be here. I, I just did. I had this weird impulse. Like, I want to live in a big city. I want to be really far away from Ohio just mm-hmm. to like become my own person. I want to learn another language. You know, I wanted to do New York, but New York felt so expensive and impossible mm-hmm. when I yeah. was you know, approaching college, like, how am I going to make it there? Um, And if I do, I'll have to live in, like, really far out of the city or whatever. I don't know. Um, And so I was like, once I studied abroad in Buenos Aires and I had that connection with music and I just saw all these cool, like, secret shows in 200-year-old houses where people turn their kitchen into a bar and everyone's jammed in the living room. And I was just like, this is where I want to be. This is yeah. it. I'm coming back here. So I, I, I finished my study abroad. I went back to school for my last year. And then I moved here three weeks after with, I think, something like $400 in my bank account. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. That's beautiful. It well, you. It sounds like you, you always knew... I don't know. It sounds like you all—you were a born performer. You kind of have this beautiful light within you, and then, um, and then you kind of had a sense that you wanted to be in a place where you could really express yourself. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the experience of the external world not understanding you, not appreciating you, and kind of being forced into a box? Because I have to say, like. As, like, a gay person, I have, like, a very Mm. obvious experience of that. I think everyone Mm. is just, like, there's a gay person in the closet. They're repressed. They can't express themselves. And then they come (laughs) out, and then they're who they are. But what I think that people don't realize is, like, so many people are, like, living in some kind of a closet, and they're repressed, and they don't realize that they're in the closet. So can you talk about your time in, like, the non-gay closet, Evie, and, like, what that experience was like for you? The non-gay closet. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that was my high school experience, my junior, like, junior high, high school experience. I was such a loner. Mm -hmm. I really, um, I had a a group of, you know, girls that I could, like, go do the normal things with, but my parents were pretty strict growing up, and I wasn't really allowed to hang out during the school week very much with other people. or and my curfew was always like the earliest of all my friends so mm-hmm. it kind of got to the point where like I feel like half my friends were like eh, it's no point in inviting Evie because she's not gonna be able to come anyway um yeah. <laughs> so like I really got I think during that time I just kept myself and that's when I became a big old music nerd that's when I think mm-hmm. I started spending a lot of time downloading 
music from Soulseek. Sorry, all of the artists that I've stolen from. But um, that's something we can actually talk about later, too, because mm-hmm. um, I think that the value of art is an interesting topic um, yeah. and something I'd like to, to comment on. But, um, yeah, and just making playlists and getting into all kinds of bands. I remember... Um, you know, my, my, my parents are pretty conservative, pretty religious, and so I felt like I had to very much keep all of my freaky music and and everything kind of secret a little yeah. bit were just for me. Um, I remember one time I was playing Nirvana, and my mom was like, what is this shit? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know I'm, like, I'm like an angsty 14-year-old like trying to like run on the treadmill while listening to like Nirvana, and she was like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, hilarious, hilarious stuff. Um, but, you know, you always have people who, who kind of see that or support you or understand it. For me, one of those people was my older brother. Um, he, he kind of, a pivotal moment for me in my musical journey was probably, I was like really into punk rock because, you know, rebellion. Um, and also, to be... To, to give credit where credit is due, my parents were always into music. My mother gave me some beautiful gifts of Motown and Carole King tapestry oh. and like some, yeah, like really good music there. And then my dad, he was more onto like Elvis Costello and Johnny Cash, but then also like he gave me my uh, Ramones record and the Clash record and I got into like punk rock that way too. So mm-hmm. they, they did support the love of music in certain ways but then you know there's a lot of like newer stuff that they were just like i don't understand this um (laughs) which is totally normal um probably how i feel a lot about like you know new trap music now i'm like what are these kids listening to i must understand it (laughs) it's so funny when that happens because you grew up thinking like you grew up thinking that you're like young and like in touch with everything and you're cool and then all of a sudden you get to a certain age you're like what what's going on with kids these days yeah who did this like grumpy old crotchety person come where did where did they come from right so so basically to to recap like to to recap on your question um evie in her weirdo closet was <laughs> like the image of that is me sitting at the pc the family pc of course um mm-hmm. in the living room with the little cheap headphones on that came with a computer i think and my mm-hmm. older brother being like listen to this song and it was paranoid android by radiohead and it is a trip and i listened to it i think 14 times on repeat and it was like after that it was like punk rock is over i'm moving on <laughs> i had so much more music to discover and that's what got me into like all just all different kinds of things and really opened my world for me um but that's that's like the image just listening to music the computer kind of shut off from the world even chatting with people via soul seek in argentina like you know just um that was my my weirdo closet and then i think in college i started being you know i i I started running a college radio station um, as the music director with my dear friend Colin. Um, I and that that was probably the beginning, and then studying abroad, and that was kind of like the slow opening into who I wanted to be. I love that. Um, I definitely do want to talk about what you said about the value of music, but we just talked about the closet, and I think that we we can't ignore the elephant of the room that is the quarantine. And oh, yeah. I, I I think that it's just a, um, 
I, it's funny because, you know, before you were like physically able to roam the world, but you were in this internal closet. And now you've been opened up internally, but you're in kind of like a physical, like restricted, um, I don't know, way of life. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you've kind of become more in touch with yourself and your need to kind of rest. And, and before um, we officially started talking, you mentioned kind of um, chakras and astrology and some <laughs> elements of spirituality. Can you kind of talk about um, the quarantine and how what that experience has been like for you and um, I don't know any kind of internal changes that that have arisen out of this yeah I can um, <laughs> the quarantine has been wild for me and that it made me slow the hell down a lot mm -hmm. um, I am a even though I've come to Argentina and embraced my artistic side in the last 10 years or so, you know, um, I'm still very driven by that productivity focused part of my psyche that's just been like nailed in there, I swear. And um, in so many different ways, I, I work, I tend to work a lot. I'm now 100% freelancer, so I balance a lot of different clients for copywriting, which is like, ugh, but it pays the bills. Um, and then I, uh, I started this magazine with Alalista two years ago. Two years? Two years. And thank you. Um, and we can talk about that later because I think it's, it's part of this whole puzzle. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I started Alalista and then so between that and working and I was trying to pay off my student loans, which was a whole other thing, which oh, was yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah, I finished doing that in February. Praise Jesus. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. You're free. I'm free. Um, yeah. So I think I, I would say that, oh no, I lost my train of thought. Where were we? I just we were talking about, about La student Lista, loans. Student loans. Um, you were talking about um, freelancing full time, um, paying the bills, um, but you're slowing down in quarantine. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So. I think before I thought if I wasn't busy every second of the day, then I wasn't doing everything I could do. And I think that's a really harmful attitude to have towards yourself. And also in a lot of ways that you don't realize you're actually taking away from your ability to give to those projects because you're not filling like the well mm -hmm. to draw on. You're just taking, 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 taking from it. And to the point where I had several moments in my life where I just crashed, just mm -hmm. crash and burn, you know, had to, you know, take leave from work for a few weeks because I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever it is, burnt out completely. I'm one of those people that was so out of touch with her needs and her, what her body was telling her and the physical limits of what one human person can do yeah. that I would go until I literally couldn't do it anymore and collapse. Yeah. Quarantine's changed that for me. Um, not having the constant distractions, the ability to go out socially and and do all the activities or, or run all the meetings or, or whatever it is, made me sit down and face myself and really kind of be quiet with myself. And when you're quiet with yourself, 
you really have to start having some honest conversations about where you are in life and, and how you feel and how you feel about what you're doing. And that has been, that has been another form of opening, even while we've been closed. It's, it's been kind of a deep dive into ourselves. I, I can't remember who said this. There was some, I, I wanna say it's a poet, but it was something like everything before us and behind us is nothing compared to like what's within us or something. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm totally butchering mm -hmm. that. I apologize. But I do believe there's a lot of validity to that, that once we can sit with ourselves and kind of delve into our, our highest self and our, and our lowest self too, mm -hmm. because that's also important work Yeah, is when we truly start to make, connections happen that we wouldn't otherwise yeah definitely um and and when so i imagine that this was like a lot of uncomfortable things have come up along the way and i mean i'm it's not always fun when we were held like a mirror to our soul and, and we see all these different things and <laughs> i'm sure that after like so much kind of constant and intense activity it's like really hard to just like hit the brakes like immediately and just stop um can you talk about was can you talk a little bit about kind of the slowing down process where did, you, did the quarantine start and you were just i don't know um therapy is like really prevalent in in buenos aires i don't know if you had yes. um were going to therapy already did were you already kind of in the practice of kind of looking internally or were you already just ready to kind of dive into this i don't know in this meditative state or was there some resistance along the way right um i had a couple things happen to me at the beginning of this year that i don't quite want to talk about on this podcast no, no but worries. we don't need to <laughs> but it made me seek help um, mm -hmm. for that I've been putting off. I, I've been seeing like Freudian psychoanalysts here, you know, because mm -hmm. they're like covered by health insurance and whatever, even yeah. though it's like, I don't know why there's so many Freudian. I could go off on that for a second. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I appreciate it. I think it's always helpful to have a space to talk about your feelings mm -hmm. um, and talk about what's going on through your life. But I'm very into like, scientifically proven methodologies and Freudian's not one of them um <laughs> and um like I'm really into CBT therapy which there really isn't a lot of here mm -hmm. um but I found a holistic therapist in February who has been really instrumental in causing helping me navigate a great deal of internal change in the last six months um, and I'm just very happy that I started seeing her before this whole thing started because it's mm -hmm. quite definitely been like a guiding light. Um, she's incredible. She works, when I say holistic, she works kind of in terms of archetypes of different things like the mother, the um, the one that she calls the, like la alusa negadora, which is like mm -hmm. the, I don't know, like the elusive denier I guess mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> um, where you kind of idealize situations to the point of harming yourself because you refuse to see the real the hard reality of certain of certain things Ugh, yeah, um, been there <laughs> yeah yeah we, haven't we all um, yeah. so so 
doing that work coupled with just I, I just really was at a point where my heart was so broken that I was like, this is deeper than just a heartbreak. This is this mm. is the self being shattered a little bit. And I need to mm-hmm. figure out where this is coming from because it has a greater source than what kind of triggered it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started taking therapy very seriously, um, who, which had been recommended to me by a, a dear friend, and I'm really grateful to her um for this and i've also since then recommended this therapist to probably four or five of my friends and several of them have started going and have just been like oh my god evie and i'm like i know <laughs> she's great um <laughs> if you want her contact later i can give it um, <laughs> and um but also uh starting meditation has been really useful i'm really really bad at it i'm so bad at it um but i keep trying and that's been really good and I also just did this six-week mindfulness course with walrus uh, school and that was really helpful as well having just this really sweet group of people every week 10 people meeting via zoom led by a facilitator just to talk about our struggles with staying in the moment and and doing our we did we did readings every week that had to do with mindfulness or or um, Zen, you know, Buddhism or whatever. And and it just was such a supportive, empathetic community to just kind of stop for a second in the middle of the week and say, what am I doing to like feed this, you know? So those are definitely a few of the things I've been doing to kind of dig deep, connect and, and heal, I guess. Because I think we all have healing to do, even if we're not aware of it. Definitely. I think, I think that is, is one of the, one of the, the, I don't know, really critical things is I think, you know, a lot of the times, like you said, with the moments that you kind of like crashed and, and burned out, I think a lot of the times we don't know that there's something that's blocked or, or problematic within us until it manifests itself and like, until it rears its like glaring head in like a really obvious way. A lot of the times we're not aware of like the more subtle signs. I think you talked about like, you know, pain manifesting itself in the body in certain ways and you're like listening to your body more now. And I think that, you know, at least in certain societies, at least like the way I grew up in the US, it's until you're like physically sick and can't get out of bed, you don't have a real problem. Like people don't, it's not like part of the culture to like really like acknowledge oh, like, I don't know, I have this feeling inside me, it just doesn't feel right, like, I, I should attend to it. It's like, no, not until, like, there's a big disaster um, did do we attend to it. So I think that, you know, what you're saying about people not knowing that there's something um, has definitely been something that I've seen. Um, and I really like what you said about kind of community um, and kind of visibility. I don't know if, I don't think you use the word visibility, but for me, I think that's, that's yeah. part of it. You know, you were, you had this sense of, I know with it, with the therapist, she was kind of like a guide. And I think, you know, when you're embarking on a new kind of scary, vulnerable path, even if it's something that's helpful, it can be very scary. And yeah. I think having community is very important. And also just seeing that there are other people who are going through the same thing as you, um, 
which is kind of part of why I want to do this this podcast yeah. is so that more people can be like, Evie did this, Evie made it through to the other side, or Evie is still in the process, she's still struggling with things, <laughs> and like, that's okay, I'm struggling with this too. Um, can you talk a little bit more about like this feeling of companionship as you're kind of going through, like struggling mm. with some dark um, and challenging things? That's really interesting. Um, I think community is so, so, so so important um finding your your tribe as it were like finding a group of people where you feel like you can be completely yourself um there's a word for it i think it's sangha Mm. in um in like buddhist practices where it's like a group of it's a community of people who who lift each other up through um moments of struggle uh, or pain, or or just accompany each other in those moments. Um, I'm really blessed to have kind of come to have a group of friends here that are, you know, our mix of of expats and locals, and mm. um, we're all just kind of very much connected in that way. In that in in that kind of seeking of a of a higher purpose of our, our place in life or trying to create art or or valuing art or or that kind of thing so that's re- that's been really important um but i think that in terms of connection through the dark parts i think one of the hardest but most important things to learn is how to accompany yourself and to like trust in yourself that you have it. Uh, one of the ways my therapist says it is, is, and she taught me this, she says sometimes, you know, when I've had like a really hard day because I know I'm making a choice that's right for myself, but it feels hard. Mm. I kind of just like wake up in the morning and I like go like this and I say like, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> and that sounds so corny. But how often do we tell ourselves mm. the things that we would so freely tell our friends yeah. for doing the exact same things that we're doing? Yeah. For like, for following the path that they need to follow and, and doing that kind of thing, you know? So mm. that's, yeah, that, that's been like really powerful for me. I've been reading a lot from, um, I want to say Brene Brown. Is that yeah. her name? Yeah. 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 Um, I just read, I think it's called Braving the Wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, which I highly recommend. Um, I think it's a fantastic book just about different things, about how to be civil and challenge bullshit, um, mm-hmm. basically, whether it's yeah. political or personal or whatever, but also do it in a civil way. It talks yeah. about being an outsider, about speaking your truth and being um, you know, authentic to yourself. Um, a lot of really great lessons um she's just a fantastic writer and uh yeah actually one of her her ted talks a few years back that i saw really impacted me it was about vulnerability yes oh yeah that's a, that's a big one i remember yeah, that. yeah the power of vulnerability yeah because that is one of probably the most common feedback i get from strangers and friends alike it's just like i like how vulnerable you are yeah (laughs) which i always feel like is a way for them to say like i like how you overshare which you know i'm trying (laughs) i'm trying to hit that balance of not oversharing to the point because i don't it's not because i want to force intimacy Hmm. but i do want to have real conversations with people about what's really going on 
and and the way I've found to do that is it's being as vulnerable as possible, and I try to do that in songwriting, um, and I try to do that also even in stupid things like Instagram. Like mm-hmm. I really try to avoid posting any photo without some kind of letter, open mm-hmm. letter to the world about what I'm going through or what I'm feeling or what this moment meant to me, truly, authentically, not just look at me with my friends being like, you know, having a great old time. Like, no, yeah. I, I, I think it's important for us to even while we're using these kind of hideous platforms mm-hmm. to try to transmit our authentic selves and, and connection with other people versus just adding content, you know? Yeah. No, I think that is so important and so beautiful and, and just very critical for for the world where it is right now, you know? Um, I think the idea of, you know, focusing on doing things from a place of connection versus a place of, you know, like self-serving promotion is kind of like why we're in the place where we're in today. Not enough people are doing it. And, you know, there's the world is in such a divided place where people are more focused on kind of, you know, just voicing, like saying what they think that others want to hear because they think it's going to help them get to where they they think they want to go. And ultimately, um, by like what you said, being authentic, being vulnerable, and and sharing what we feel as humans allows us to connect with people who we feel are are different from ourselves. Like for example, like you and me. Like, well, you can't necessarily tell from the podcast because there's no video. But like <laughs> we don't we don't necessarily look very similar. But right. from talking to you, we have like a lot in common, and yeah. people might not realize that if they're so if they're just kind of focused on producing and not focused on connection can you talk about um you were talking a lot about kind of um art kind of expressing a lot of what you're doing through art and like uh, because of course it comes from like Mm. the divine and a place of connection can you talk about your journey to kind of i don't know express this feeling of connection through art and also if it has enabled you to connect with other people who maybe you might not have connected with in a different way. Interesting. Um, Well, yeah. Okay. So speaking of people who are very different, like, God, um, my, the way the the band even started Mm -hmm. uh, was I met Chris in a taxi cab on like Corrientes Mm -hmm. because his friend our mutual friend was going to the same party that I was and we were in contact and I was like, Oh, pick me up. (laughs) And so they did. And I hopped in and I was, you know, at the time I was 25 or so and I had just ended things um, with my ex who was also my bandmate at the time. And so I was like, Oh my God, I have to find a new guitarist. Like disaster. (laughs) Like, Every, I have to start everything over. I'm never dating anyone in my band again. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> which of course I, you know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Life. Life happens. Later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. And I was like, I, I must, you know, I got to do this. And Chris was just like, oh, I play guitar. And I was like, okay, cool guy. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I've heard seen... that line before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so we, we kind of made like, you know, casual plans to just meet up and jam. Um, and he brought over, you know, he came over and I, I remember I went upstairs to get my guitar 
And while I was coming down the stairs, he was playing this song called Lover's Spit by Brooklyn Social Scene. Mm-hmm. And on the piano that we had in the house that I was renting. And I was just like, is that Broken Social Scene? And he was like, yes. And I was like, ooh, okay. Because that was both of one of, both of our favorite one of our favorite bands for sure mm-hmm. but we didn't know that at the time so that was like the first minute of like huh maybe maybe this will be more than just a one-off jam situation yeah and then we started playing together and it was like a song just came out and we still have a recording of that song and i don't think we'll ever share it with the world but it the words and melody and the song just just came out in 20 minutes and we both i think kind of sat in silence for a second afterwards and Chris was like I've never had that happen so fast before <laughs> and I was like me neither that was wild and that was kind of the beginning and and the reason I'm sharing the story is because Chris and I could not be more different human beings in the world like mm-hmm. he is quiet and reserved mm-hmm. and like took six months for me to crack I swear to god the first six months of us playing music together I was like do you even like me like <laughs> I can't tell yeah um and, uh, and yeah, we were just very different people, but the act of, of creating together really created this bond that mm-hmm. like, he is now he, my brother. He's, he's one of my best friends. Like he's just, you know, uh, one of the closest people I have to me in, in the world, um, which made, well, that's a whole nother story, but when he got deported last year, uh, mm-hmm. that made, it made things pretty, <laughs> made made it things a little bit difficult so we can say like i have a very weird perspective on 2020 because Mm -hmm. i feel like i kind of already went through part of it with 2019 yeah but i actually i think that's like a great thing to say so um i think the idea of like the chaos of the world is something that you know we're all reckoning with right now and i think It's funny because a lot of the times people aspire to be in kind of a country that has like more control and more like external stability, maybe like the US or Western Europe. But it's funny because from my conversations with people in, you know, the quarantine over the world now, uh, it's kind of been people from kind of more chaotic cultures who are more, they're used to this. So they're, they're used to the fact that like all these things in life just will will happen um, and they're kind of more adaptable. So can you talk about, there, there's just been so much serendipity with your life, like um, yeah. unexpected good and unexpected maybe not things that you had wanted to happen. And can you talk about kind of, I don't know, like what that's been like for you, what you've learned, what you've felt and, and exactly kind of how, how you're feeling now about that. Yeah, so a university professor told me something, not me, he told the whole class. He was uh, quoting Joseph Campbell, I think, uh, follow your bliss, Mm. which is this concept, this kind of like idea that you just kind of, you put yourself on the track that's been like there waiting for you this entire time. Mm. Like that like if you are enjoying the moment and you are doing like whatever your gut instinct tells you to do, then you are like on the right path. And Mm -hmm. I've, I feel that that has been my one saving grace my entire life is my, what my father terms as my willfulness is Mm -hmm. that I have always followed, or at least since I was an adult, I've been very much following my gut Mm -hmm. um, as much as I can. Sometimes I ignore it, but 
when and and to my detriment whenever I do. Yeah. But um, just kind of like following whatever yourself is telling you is is the right next thing to do is is what you have to do. Um, chaos in life is inevitable. It's gonna happen to you, like even when you don't think it is. And I think this year at least proved that finally to everyone. To some people yeah. who had very orderly lives up to this moment. But last year, when Chris called me from Esesa Airport, telling me that they weren't letting him back in the country and were sending him on a plane back to the states after he'd visited mm. his family. Wow. I had a total breakdown. Yeah. You know, uh, because I was like, we've spent the last four years building this band and this project and this is what i feel like we are meant to do mm-hmm. it was it was a moment of no it cannot be like this mm-hmm. because we're supposed to do something mm-hmm. because i i felt this so strongly now looking back over a year i can say that that experience had to break both of us in different ways we both mm-hmm. <laughs> did different coping mechanisms during that eight months while he was gone uh he wrote a solo record which is amazing, um, wow. and I love it, and it's beautiful. And I was I had the honor to contribute um, vocal melodies and lyrics to three of those songs, um, and that's been a really great experience as well because it's just different style of music as what we usually do with Fervors. So that's been really fun. It has everything from like spacey R and B to like weird experimental tribal music to just like something completely different. Like it's it's all over the place. So that's yeah. been kind of fun. Um, and then I guess uh, so. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at with all of, all of this is that you should follow your gut, do what you ever you think is the next right thing. But then accept the chaos because the chaos is there to teach you something. Mm. And as long as you, and it's okay to be worried and upset in the moment. That's totally natural. But if you just trust and keep persisting in the ways that you can, it will turn out okay eventually. And it just, that was a hard pill to swallow Um, as someone who is kind of, my one of my shadow selves my, is mm. my is my necessity for control. So having that kind of broken in half over the last year since basically April two thousand nineteen uh, has been a a source of great personal growth for me. Yeah, yeah. I think that is so essential. Um, I I love what you said about connecting with your gut with your intuition with this um with this kind of internal barometer this this internal anchor that you have um because you're right we don't have control over what happens in the external world and i don't want to really say the word control but the the thing that the the real sense of agency that we have comes from you know within we can decide how we're going to react to something we can decide what voices we listen to we can decide what path we choose to follow um so i think that that is like a very um important thing that you just said and it sounds like you've been in touch with that for a long time and you've been able to to follow that for a long time and you know my own 
personal experience, I feel like I've always had a sense of that, but kind of based on how like my family has been and how society has been, I haven't always been comfortable listening to that. Or I told myself, you know, like parent, like mm-hmm. adults or authority figures or like school or my coach or whoever is saying this thing that doesn't seem to agree with what I'm feeling. And yeah. instead of like trusting myself, I was like, well, these people are like established in some way. So they must be right and I must be wrong. <laughs> so how did you get to the point where you were, a- maybe you just always trusted yourself, but how mm. did you get to the point where you were able to be like, you know, maybe an author- authority in like quote authority is saying this, but I feel this and that is what I'm going to follow. Ooh, that is such a good and hard question. Um to answer because I'm Oof. let me think about that for a second mm-hmm. I'm not really sure I part of me says yeah I've always been doing that but but the but there have been other things. Like recently I just quit a job where I was working um, for a big name client and mm. it was a fixed job and it was a good situation and I was like, why would I quit this? It's good for my resume, blah, blah, blah. But it always felt kind of bad since I started. I never mm. felt really comfortable in the workspace. I left every job every day feeling kind of like sick to my stomach. Like, am I learning anything here? Do I feel supported? Do I feel like my work is valued? And it was always a resounding no, but I ignored it because I had this instilled idea of what things I should be devoting my time and energy to. Um, So I would say that it's been an ever evolving process. I finally made the decision to walk away from that job at the end of July. Um, in part because, well, that's a whole other thing. I kind of had like a near-death experience in April. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, here, I can show you. It's a little freaky. Are you ready? Okay. I this, don't know if I'm is... ready, but, but here we go. Let's do it. Okay. Oh, my God. This? Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was upstairs working in the renovated apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the apartment that has been undergoing renovations and mm-hmm. been in constant construction Monday through Sunday for the last five months. So that's my wow. own personal that's, health that's and navigating. <laughs> um, but as an act of like peace, I guess, or mm-hmm. an olive branch, um, the landlord who is also our landlord, who's been renovating upstairs, gave me a set of the keys so that I could go upstairs, enjoy the terrace, especially mm-hmm. when we were first in lockdown and also yeah. have a little bit more space than just be in our house. Yeah. Um, well, one day I was up there working in April and a glass door that had been propped against the wall blew over and I reached out to catch it. No. And I sliced my arm. No. And this was in April. This was right after the whole, you know, the COVID court. had really just started beginning. So no. I, I have the only key to the upstairs. So I have to hold my arm shut. While no. going downstairs and try to open the old door with the old key, you know, and I swear, I swear to you, I looked down and I, I saw everything. Oh <laughs> like I saw God. more of my inside than I've ever wanted to see in my entire life. Wow. Uh, and hopefully we'll ever see again. But, <laughs> but I, um, 
it was kind of funny because that, in the wake of that experience, I was totally fine. My, my roommates, Chris, came, he grabbed me, clamped my arm in a towel. Pablo called 911. We got, a, wow. you know, a cop car to race me to the hospital and got stitched up and I was fine. I, did, I hadn't cut through an artery or tendon, so I was very, very lucky. Oh, but it good. was 13 stitches and I think something like two and a half centimeters deep. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, very intense. But that moment of being like, oh my God, if I pass out or like, or like if I don't make it, you know, um, really triggered a lot of changes in me. I quit one job that wasn't really like worth my time. And then I quit another and then then I quit another. It was just kind of like, no matter how many things you do that you think are going to give you a sense of security, or that you think are the right things to do because someone told you that they were the right things to do. Mm. There are, there is no security. A glass door can fall on you tomorrow and slice your arm open. (laughs) So you, so you have to live it every day by your own compass, by your own guiding star, or otherwise what are you doing? You're living someone else's life, someone else's prerogative. It's not yours. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, this is not to say that everything bad is, like, good because there are people (laughs) who are living in, like, very dire situations. Right. But um, I do feel, I mean, I've been lucky enough to not have been in any, like, truly dire situations yet. But in my experience, and it also sounds like based on some some of the things that that you've um, shared, a lot of the times something that you didn't expect or something that maybe you didn't even want to happen or that you actively did Mm -hmm. not want to happen. Um, Maybe it's not fun at the time, but it can teach you something. It can kind of wake you up in some, in some way. It can allow you to kind of, it holds a mirror up to you in a certain way and it allows you to kind of see that you want to live differently. So I do think that a lot of the time that hardship, um, in the long run, if you allow yourself to be open to it, can can change you for the better. So I, I think that that was something beautiful yeah. that you shared. And I think that something else, so we t- you talked about kind of saying no to jobs that didn't make you feel good. And I think that, um, and listening to kind of your, your intuition, and something that I want to talk about, because we've kind of alluded to it in some ways, but, you know, we live in this practical world. We talked about kind of the world not truly valuing art and not really seeing, like, mm. the, the soul of the creative expression <laughs> and how that's, that's good for everyone. Um, so I want to talk about two things. One is how do you exist in this practical world that we're in today while staying true to what you feel inside? Because... You know, we talked about the people who are like an IT engineer by day, uh, I don't know, a sculptor by night. Like, how are you able to, you know, not starve, not be a starving artist, essentially, be like someone who feeds your body and also feeds your soul at the same time? That's something I'm still figuring out. Um, That's been probably the, the hardest struggle for me because I was, you know, paying, I was earning exclusively in pesos for a pretty mm. long time and also paying off student loans in dollars which was no wow, easy feat no <laughs> no it, t- it was it was rough I was, there was a lot of lentils and rice involved um <laughs> and <laughs> yeah but um recently i think it i think it's all connected to fighting 
for your worth. Because I really don't believe at this point in time that there's any reason that anyone should be working for less than minimum wage. I don't care where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that minimum wage is way too low. Minimum wage should be at least $15. So I'm going to no. say that no one in the world should ever be making less than $15 an hour. No. Sadly, that is not the situation yeah. for our <laughs> we have enormous economic inequality. And it is yeah. it is so infuriating. It like it is probably it the is. issue that that causes me more, more rage than anything else. Yeah. Not only because of how many people we have suffering because of their lack of basic needs being met, mm-hmm. but also because of how many artists and how much how much art and innovation and creativity mm-hmm. and and the things that are truly lasting in life we are denying ourselves yeah. by not giving everyone the opportunity and space to be able to shift from just surviving to also creating, right? So this is all to say that for me personally, it has been about um, figuring out something that I could build kind of a niche for myself in, which for me was copywriting and advertising, which I do not love. And (laughs) it is not my passion, but I can do it. And I wouldn't say I I don't love it, but it's, you know, I spent a lot of time working for giant corporations yeah. and for big agencies. And while that val- that experience was valuable in that it kind of taught me how offices work and how big corporations work and function, in the last few months, I have been focusing my attention entirely to smaller clients, mm-hmm. um, to like a culinary knives company or like, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, a, a small software company that has like, you know, five people. like. I think, um, and this is all to say that it's kind of a value realignment. It's like, who do I want to be giving my time to? One. Two, how much is my time worth? And so I feel that it's very important for everyone, no matter where they are, um, to not be afraid to ask for more. Mm -hmm. Because generally speaking, a lot of these corporations and companies and I know this because I worked in an HR tech company mm-hmm. for a few years, <laughs> thrive thrive off of a culture of where they don't want people talking about salaries. They don't want people talking yeah. about how much they're earning or how they got there. And because of this, you have inequality, not just you know on a global scale, but just within teams. Yeah. Like ridiculous inequality that, has, yeah. that, that makes no sense. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's moving from a culture of fear to a culture of of solidarity and and valuing of oneself and that's a big shift it's a big ask and yeah in argentina it's hard but i that's part of the reason i have been so open with my colleagues in the past about like how much i ask for and how i do it and mm-hmm. i try to be as helpful as i can and this has caused me several very uncomfortable situations in my life Mm-hmm. with problems with management or whatever um because I, I come in and i start my little socialist revo- revolution <laughs> um but like <laughs> but no like i but but that's also what why i was like you know what i should probably just go 
and take my 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 mission private and, yeah. and and share it with friends versus taking these jobs in corporate situations and causing a ruckus. So maybe that's not my place. So now mm-hmm. I'm a freelancer and I work one on one with clients and it's like we can create fair working situations between the two of us because at the end of the day that's that's what I'm after. So I'm I'm very into preach much into preaching that. And I'm sorry if that's yeah. not really connected to dreams no. or artists, but I think it's important because it's important. Because until workers are doing this with corporations and companies, then I don't see how artists are ever going to. Because no. artists have always been devalued throughout history. Um, except except for, you know, the, the, at the beginning when there was patrons and the churches sponsoring, like, the chap, you know, the, the painting of the Sistine Chapel and all that. Yeah. But, like, um, <laughs> we... We live in a culture where it's hard to get people to even pay to go see a band. And it's like... It's hard to explain the economics of, of making music to people who aren't musicians, but I think it's important to remind people that every time you see a band at a show, they're paying for their cab or their little truck to get the equipment there and to get it back. Oh, wow. They're, pay- they're usually paying for their food and drink, unless the venue is generous for that night. Um, and they're only getting a cut of the door sales, you know? So it's like, and usually, mm-hmm. so it's, usually it's not even enough. Like, or it's just enough to cover their costs, at least in Argentina. Wow. I, that's the only experience I can speak of. Um, and then beyond that, if you're going to see that band because you loved an album they created or a song that they wrote or whatever, not in addition to all the hours it took to write and compose that song, you have studio time, which is extremely expensive, um, mastering, producing that record, afterwards as well which is also added costs and then uh, uploading it to streaming platforms so you can listen to it freely yeah. so that all that all costs money for the artist yeah. uh, i think i worked out the math for our last ep which was very diy as much as possible we recorded in a very small studio and i think we spent probably i want to say 300 to 400 dollars a song and we're yeah. never going to see that money you know and yeah. that's and that's in addition to all the work we put into it. So it's, so I do really encourage people, if they can, don't complain about paying to go see a band. Like, drink one less beer, and it's probably yeah. the cost of your entry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or drink a beer before, you know, buy at the supermarket beforehand. If it's a free show and the band is selling drinks to pay their, their themselves, then don't smuggle in a flask, you know? Yeah. Like, like spend your money wisely if you care about art show that because at the end of the day money is just a way of exchanging energy that's just the way we have right now and so we all just have to kind of be conscious of that and i understand it because i also remember being broke and 20 and not Mm -hmm. wanting to pay to go see a band but now it's like i'm so happy to do it and there are so many different ways to do it i highly recommend if you if you love a band see if they have a band camp um band camp is kind of like the successor to MySpace, I guess, in a way, um, uh, where bands can put up their albums, their music, and they have a little profile, and you can buy their music directly from them in like digital format. And even if you never even want that download, you're just trying to support them. It's it goes directly to them, and also, and Bandcamp takes like the smallest percentage. But even so, the first Friday of every month, and I'm not sure for how long they're going to keep doing this. They call them Bandcamp Fridays. 100% of the profits go to the band. 
So I just wanted to put that here so that if you ever have a band or I have a shopping list right now because I'm starting to DJ or I'm like learning how to. Oh, nice. Of all these these songs I want to buy from Bandcamp on the next Bandcamp Friday, which will be October something. So, yeah. Nice. I think that is so important what you said about kind of being intentional about... um, I don't know your decisions about your money and it as you said it does come down to values and um, as we kind of mentioned earlier the world for whatever reason at this point seems to be valuing I don't know these corporate things that really we don't really need like a lot of it is just like this very specific software to make life for like upper middle class people like slightly easier like do we really need that Whereas if you think about it, we're kind of all stuck inside right now. And, you know, art is something that's helping us not die of boredom right now. So really, like, you're using that more than you might be using these other applications. So um, why are we not valuing that? Why are we not being intentional about that? So I I think that is so important. I think there's this shift that needs to happen as a society so that everyone can live you know a life a full life of of dignity and also kind of as you said right now like what you said about the creative process it's not something that you just switch on or say i'm going to work x hours a week and then (laughs) i I will produce things like that's not how it works like it comes and goes and you don't know when it happens so if you have to if you don't get enough money to allow yourself to kind of just flow let the creative energy Mm. flow how are you going to create something like truly connected when you're so focused on surviving so i think i love how now you are able to find a way to kind of be practical but also in a way that's intentional and aligned with your values to support kind of people and organizations that um that you know you you agree with and that you care about and i think you know the rest of the world it's it's a matter of like other people being more intentional about that as well so that ultimately like we can create more like pure beautiful art we can just live in a more realized world are we going to figure out the solution to that on this podcast episode probably not i mean but probably I, not. I, I do agree with what you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah no i think there's this this all comes back to community right yeah it's about like we live in this globalized world and it's beautiful it allows us to connect with people from all over and 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 empathize with new cultures and 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 understand aspects of humanity we couldn't possibly have begun to understand if we just stayed in our hometown but at the same time, wherever you are, wherever you're living in that moment, it is so important to look to your neighbor, look to, your, to the people around you and say, how can I support these people around me that make this neighborhood the kind of neighborhood I like to live in? Or how can I support the community of artists that I so love to participate in or enjoy watching? Um, it's, it's really just not taking these things for granted. And, and like you said, using your resources wisely. Um, and it's, it's something we have to be very conscientious of all the time. I think it's it's really important. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't speak about that enough. I Obviously, with La La Lista, that's been, like, that was probably the reason I started that whole thing, um, <laughs> was just because I wanted to connect more with the local community and 
the local arts and culture community and support them in a way that I felt equipped to do so. And now we're just looking for more and more ways to do that. And um, yeah, it's, I don't even know where I, I could wrap this up, but just, yeah, think Think global, act local, as, I, as yeah. I think would be probably like the summation of, of what I, I am trying, kind of coming to the conclusion to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that yeah. And, and yes, valuing your work, valuing yourself and trying to do no evil, which is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard in this globalized world to do no evil. Um, it's crazy that it is so hard. Like you have to yes. be really like aware of everything and intentional about things because it's almost like doing evil is like the default, even if you're not, even if that's not your intention, like yeah. you have to very intentionally not do that these days. So yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's it's choosing, it's it's making the choice to say, for me personally, it was, you know what, I don't want to work for the Googles of the world anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if that looks good on my resume, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't, this isn't lining up for me. It's not, something's not working. And it was, it's moving away from that. Um, it's, it's hard though, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So you, you just said now, like, um, uh, this feel like your intuition and this feeling is telling you not to work for this thing that's more stable, even if that means that maybe you won't necessarily um, have I don't know certain comforts. And you before you talked about um, being getting to the place where you're able to kind of ask for what you feel um, the value of of your craft is, and you know you being like strong-willed enough to to start your socialist revolution and i think a lot of the time like because of you know the the democratic socialists i should i should add like i feel like i don't want to get i do think like capitalism is the way we're gonna all function but i feel Mm -hmm. like with controls just just to clarify before someone gets in there in the comments Um, i know people do that these days our our revolution a revolution of whatever revolution yeah 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 there we go okay so you you where you are now at this place where you're more connected with your intuition you Mm -hmm. sense you sense that something doesn't feel right and you go another path that's maybe not as comfortable, but you have enough agency to be able to say, I, this is what I feel. Uh, maybe I'm not making Google money, but I do feel that this is what my work is worth and that I think that it's fair. Um, how did you get to that point? Where Because I don't know if this was your experience growing up. Um, I think this might not might also just be personality thing for me. I can be very timid and scared of confrontation. And for me, a lot of the times, just asking things like you're I'm honestly often been scared that the worst thing they're not going to say is no. The worst thing they're going to say is like, get out of here and never talk to me again. (laughs) And it's going to be like so bad. Like, yeah, like the fear builds it up into this big thing. And sometimes it's really not that bad. So can you talk about like how? Um, and maybe being in touch with your intuition is part of it, but how you've gotten to the point where, you know, as kind of an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman who also does art, how you've been comfortable enough to kind of have difficult conversations, advocate for yourself, ask for what you think um, your value is. I would say that 
it's something that I've learned recently that's been working better for me than what I used to tend towards, which is I, although I am a woman, um, and very happy to be so because it just, it's what I feel comfortable in. Um, I have a very strong masculine side. I am very much the like assertive, I'm going to ask for this thing. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to like push, push, push. I'm going to fight, fight, fight for whatever I want to get because that was what I internalized as the only way to get things done. In the last four months or so, I've started realizing that the true source of power, where you really become powerful and confident, is when you're able to integrate both Mm. your feminine and your masculine. And for me, when it comes to having those hard conversations, and I just had one recently with an agency I've been working freelance with, where I just said, listen, I really value our working relationship. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity. I am now charging this much per hour as of this month because that's what I'm making with my other clients. And I hope you guys can meet that. And I'm giving you like, or sorry, I'm, I'm going to charge you this much and this month, and then it's going to go up to this much the, the following month. So I'm get, trying to give you six weeks notice of where I'm headed with my rates. And I want to work with you if you want to do a succession plan or if you want me to help train someone else, I will gladly do so. But this is what I need to do for myself at this point in time. And I hope you can understand that. And coming to it with just this openness of why I'm doing something, why I think it's important, um, why it's important for me personally at this moment, but also it's with the assurance that what I'm offering to them is a value because I've proven to them, proven it to them with the work. And that's what I would say is like, as long as you have been doing the work and bringing your talent to the table, then you should never be afraid to have those conversations where you're asking for what you're worth because you are worth it. But it's the way you frame it can completely change the tone of that conversation. And the conversation I had with this agency this past week was one of the most pleasant I've ever had. (laughs) And, and And that way they were just like, okay, we can do that, right? And we were going to work on something for November. And thank you for giving the heads up. And we really appreciate it. We love working with you. And it was just like, listo. Like it was just, yeah. And I think that's, and that's been something I've been doing in interviews too. Instead of being, you know, hard front, like I'm going to show you all the things I've been doing. It's been like, oh, hi, I'm Evie. Uh, This is what I've done in the past. This is what I hope to do in the future. Um, Bringing that softness. I think actually Brene Brown talks about this too Mm -hmm. in her book. It's called, um, I want to say it's strong back, soft front. I like it's that. It's like, yeah. So it's yeah. it's when you have your spine is strong, where you, you know where you stand. You can carry yourself with confidence, but you're also soft to the world. Yeah. Because you have that inner reassurance that it, like, you know, you're not going, you're not showing weakness by showing softness. Yeah. Which is something that I, it took me a very long time to understand because I think our world puts so much focus on masculine Mm -hmm. force and brute force and brute strength as a way to make things happen. Yeah. Um, It's actually, it's actually, I think, I think it's a Buddhist principle as well. This, this strong back, soft front. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, so so many things to unlearn from from, <laughs> I from know. capitalistic society. But I have to say, I compl- I've, that's something that I've definitely been feeling in my own, um, like, even just in my personal life. Um, and I think also having a strong back and just having a sense of, okay, what are my boundaries? And getting mm-hmm. to, like, trusting your intuition and knowing that there's a certain line that you won't cross that enables you to have a softer front because you know, you can trust yourself so you can be softer. I remember when I was younger and I didn't have any backbone at all, I needed to have like a, like a bigger bark, you know, because then like yes. to stop it from getting to that point to begin with. But I yes. think that's a great point. Like they, they complement each other. Um, having the strong back, I think enables you to have the soft front and having a soft front enables people to like see your humanity and they they connect with you more and then they they are they want to do what you said right right it's been a slow awakening for me with that because um it first started i think uh it's a thing that happens a lot i think because it's like internalized misogyny or Mm. whatever growing up i just did not feel you know i think teenage girls are socialized to be kind of catty and cut each other down Mm. so for a very long time in my life I thought of myself as a girl who was like a guy's girl like all of my friends are dudes and like I don't have female friends and then somewhere around 23 24 I remember feeling like god I really want some female friends yeah how do I change this and I started I started slowly making some and I listened to the feedback I got from some of my friends or from women around me and I realized that I came off way more intimidating than I had any idea Uh, that I did. And that was wild to me because I'd always felt so wildly insecure. And whenever Mm. I met a new girl at a party or wherever, and she was beautiful or 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 whatever, I always just assumed that she would want nothing to do with me. And so I would just put my wall right up and, and, and just be like removed and like aloof and whatever. Yeah. And so of course everyone thought I was intimidating and hard to get to know. And and so once I made that connection that every single girl that I'd ever every single woman I'd ever encountered in my life that I thought was kind of hard or intimidating or has a hard mm-hmm. shell, I just realized that they were just as fearful. Yeah. as I had once been. And so once I started seeing that and kind of just saying, I'm going to go approach that person and crack a joke. And if they don't like it and they kind of say like, like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. They're just like, they kind of just go, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, I tried moving on, you yeah. know, but most of the time the girl, you know, the woman be like super, super receptive. And then you have a new friend and it's yeah. like that, that's part of that whole being vulnerable thing and being open and, and, and losing that fear because I do think fear is like a huge Oh, I could talk about fear forever, but no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty universal. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think a lot of the times fear is so amorphous, and we just we think that the that a lot of the times we think that the consequences of something are are far worse than they actually yes. are. So then we just create this barrier for ourselves, and we just don't do things. Um, but yeah, as you said, you kind of just when you kind of just like walk up to the person and talk to them, like more often than not, they're going to be receptive. And if and if they're not like it's not like all of a sudden just your life is over or something like you tried. Right. Something, it didn't go the way you think you thought it was going to go. And you're, you're still here. Like it's still it's still fine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, 
so many moments in life when, when I started making that connection. Um, oh, it's the corniest phrase in the world, right? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. But yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, yeah. and, and also realizing all the different ways that fear manifests. Yes. And that can be, that's rage, that's defensiveness, that's uh, putting walls up. You know, when you, once you start identifying that in other people, it, it helps you because you, you figure out new ways to reach people as well or to, to circumvent that. Yeah. I definitely feel like um, that's something that, that I've gone through as well. I think just also when you when you reach 30, you've just had like more life experiences and you kind of just understand mm-hmm. people a little bit better. So then like you see this person acting a certain way. And I think also this is this is like a cultural thing, like the at least the culture in the US I grew up with is very like individualistic. So people take things so personal, whereas like, personally, whereas in other parts of the world, people can kind of like, it's more community focused. So people can kind of see the spectrum, like this person is angry because their mother said this to them. Oh, yeah. and that. And it's right. Like, and then you realize, okay, that's not, this person yelling at me is not actually about me. It's about something else. So it doesn't mean that I like being yelled at, but it me, but I don't need to take it like so harshly. Oh, right. And I think that like that kind of often eliminates kind of the fear around doing things because maybe you don't take like your concept of like failure or things not going the way you want. So personally, it allows you to kind right. of just like you know, try things, experiment. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree with that. And and honestly, people do, we're, we're little projection machines all the time mm, until yes. you become self-aware. People are constantly, uh, <laughs> whenever someone reacts to you in a, in a way that you're like, you, you feel, you take personally, like, oh, mm. I feel hurt by this or, or why are they so angry? God, 99% of the time, it really is not about you. Even, yeah. even if it feels like it, you know, and maybe you did do something wrong, but maybe the reaction was, was overblown or whatever, yeah. you know, like I experienced, I experienced this all the time on my bike. You know, if you mm-hmm. ever encounter someone with road rage or something, you're just yes. like, you're, you're having a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to take this personally and I will not engage in your thing because this has nothing to do with with what's going on in, in my life or what just happened between us, you know? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Evie, we have gone on quite a journey. I know. We, we've gone I know. Through, we've gone through kind of some dark times, some beautiful times. We've followed our intuition. We've, I don't know, talked to strangers. We've created a band. <laughs> I say we. It's really you. But <laughs> but I... I, I um, wanted to see if there's so I've been asking the questions all this time and I wanted to see is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners um, any oh, last wisdom any just anything that's on your mind that on your heart that you'd like to that you'd like to share well I want to know what your initial question was the one what that was we my skipped oh my god uh, thank you Evie I totally forgot <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's so funny my initial question was going to be what are your dreams I feel like we've already uh, kind of gotten a sense of covered them, a lot of yes, it share share with me what what are your dreams Evie my I think my dreams well I have I have, I have way too many of them and that's kind of a problem but my one dream, I think, that I'm most focused on achieving in the next couple of years is to finish writing and recording a couple of records with our band and also a solo record 
that I feel personally proud of, that I, that I am never ashamed of anyone listening to, and that I feel is an, the truest expression of, of what we as a band are trying to transmit to the world, or I guess be conduits for from the great creator. Um, <laughs> that is my big dream. And so that's that's probably that would be the the fastest answer to that question. That's beautiful. Um, well, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting your your album. Um, I will um, share all the information for your music uh, in the in the introduction, um, or I have shared it in the introduction. Yeah. Um, and yes, I really I have to say I'm very touched by just how open and vulnerable and honest you've been i think um it, i felt very connected with you i think the audience will really feel connected with you as well thank you for kind of sharing both the the good times and the more difficult times i truly feel that it will make people feel less alone like they're part of oh, good. so so thank you so much for for being here and for opening up evie no, thank you so much for providing this space. Um, you're doing a service as a facilitator, and I hope you recognize that and carry that as a, a badge of honor because it's very it's a very beautiful work oh, that you're giving you. the space to everyone. That means a lot. <laughs> well, I hope our paths will cross again soon. And oh, I'm uh, sure they will. They will once once we're <laughs> once we're able to frolic out in the open again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I will see you on the other side, Evie. All right, I'll see you. Thank you so much for the space. Bye-bye. Thank you. We just heard from Evie Dusky. What a ride. So many wonderful, awakening, frightening at times, funny at times, emotional, so, so many different emotions. What a, what a ride. Um, again, as, as I often say, <laughs> pretty much always say, um, I have learned so much from this conversation. I had a wonderful, wonderful time chatting with Evie and, um, she really, there, there are so many, I, I feel like I've a broken record. I, I feel like I always say this because I always just love all of the wonderful guests, um, but there are a couple things that I really want to highlight. And one of them is the, the idea of stability and when stability comes from an external place versus an internal place. Um, both Evie and I grew up in the US and both of us chose to move to Argentina largely because of just the, the creative energy of the city. And Evie talked about how for a lot of her life, she really valued a sense of stability, kind of having the financial stability she was looking for um, that really gave her a sense of comfort in the world. And as she kind of went about life in perhaps a city that has less external stability than where she grew up in the U.S., she realized that no matter what you do to, to try to, put, to create this external stability, Generally, life has other plans. I mean, we're all living in the middle of a pandemic right now. We can just see how much of the world is outside of our control. Uh, so she, she had that realization, and that kind of moved her to, to follow her intuition, to follow her heart, to follow her gut, 
And she realized that whenever she didn't follow her gut and she didn't listen to it, things didn't go the way that she wanted. But the thing that she could always depend on is her intuition to take her to the next step. She couldn't always see five steps ahead, but she knew that if she kept following what she what felt right to her little by little, um, it would work out in, in a beautiful, organic, and unforeseen way. Relating to kind of living more intuitively and following kind of a, a path that's not as clear but is so much more beautiful and fulfilling, Evie talked about the creative process as not being linear. And she talked about how there was a time in her life where she kind of tried to sit down and force herself to write or force herself to make music and how that never really worked for her and how now she kind of keeps herself in an open creative space generally and she realizes that there are certain types of activities that are better at awakening this creativity within her. One of those is going for a bike ride, sometimes it's going for a walk, um, and she finds that when she's doing those types of activities, she's in kind of a different, more relaxed state where her brain is less active, but her, her creativity is more active. And in these moments, that's when she feels most inspired. Um, so really, it's more about kind of inviting creativity into your life um, and being aware of it when it happens and then going with that flow of energy. Well, I had a wonderful time chatting with Evie. I hope you learned a lot. I hope you laughed and felt all of the emotions. Um, this was the season finale of season one of Dream Awakening. I, I hope you enjoyed all of the episodes. I had a wonderful time chatting with all of the guests, feeling all of the emotions. We will be back in a couple months with season two. We're currently in the process of getting on other platforms so that it's easier to listen and bringing in new guests. So stay tuned on Instagram for updates on the exact date of the season two premiere. Um, and to, to stay updated on that, my handle on Instagram is Misha underscore Chakrabarty. That's M-I-S-H-A underscore C-H-A-K-R-A-B-A-R-T-I. Thank you for listening. Take care and see you in the not too distant future. Bye.